Talking about how to be a faithful Christian serving a faithful God. We've talked about the model of faithfulness, the meaning of faithfulness, and uh, we talked about the message of faithfulness. Today, the mandate. One of the most, uh, if you asked anybody, what's the one passage about faithfulness in Scripture that you would uh, recommend, this would be it. First Corinthians chapter 4. So let's bow forward to prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. I thank you that, Lord, I've read the last chapter, and God's people win, and I thank you that you're already helping us to win. And I praise you, Lord, for those who are standing in the gap. Thank you for, and we just pray, Lord, for those who may be suffering sickness even now, and for those that are taking care of those, for those wonderful men and women in the government, Lord, who do care about righteousness. We just support them and pray for them, and we ask God that you'd protect them as well, protect this church from wicked and unreasonable people, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Let's go to first chapter, or excuse me, first Corinthians chapter 4, if you would, please. First Corinthians, remember now, many of the epistles are named after a location. Corinthians is after Corinth, a port in Greece that Paul visited and had a wonderful ministry there. Corinth was a powerful church, a an amazing church, a struggling church. They were facing foreboding times. Part of the issue was there were people that were coming in, there were people that were in the community, and there was a lot of deceit going on. There was a lot of underhanded things happening. And so the question that Paul rhetorically answers is, I know the question that's on your mind, folks. Who can you trust? Who can you trust in days like this? We know, folks, today we can't trust the CNN, the corrupt news network. In fact, maybe I should say you can trust them. You can trust that they will distort it. They will pervert it. They will twist it. They will do everything they can to bring down righteousness. And back then, that was the same thing, only it was just the people or the, some leaders. And Paul was saying, I know you're wondering who you can trust. Well, let me give you four criteria of someone you can trust, and he's going to talk about those who are faithful servants of God. And so let's read it together, if you would, please. Let's read it out loud in verses 1 through 5. Let's, uh, if you have your Bible open there, your phone, your iPad, or you can read it on the overhead here, the, uh, the screen. Let's read it together. Ready? Begin. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in students, excuse me, that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time. Until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. First of all, we see in these verses what distinguishes the distinguishing of a faithful Christian. We're going to see now what separates the men from the boys, as it were. Faithfulness. Verse 1, so let a man account of us. Account of us, meaning consider us 
this way. Think about us. Uh, put us through your mental checklist, your spiritual uh, box there. Just You're going to check off some boxes about our life. Consider, first of all, are we the ministers of Christ? Are we a minister of Christ? Minister. Now, the word minister from the English, we might immediately think, for example, if you lived in England, you might think of the prime minister. Or in our own president's cabinet, they might have a minister of uh, education or a minister of the interior or something like that. But the word minister might have the idea of someone in government or a cabinet. In religion, a person says the word minister, and immediately, depending on your background, you might think the word cleric or vicar or chaplain or something like that. Or, of course, the word pastor. That's a very positive, good spin on that word. And yet the word minister for many people is something stodgy, pompous, an empty suit even. Minister. But what is God's meaning behind the word minister? In Scripture, the word there in this place where it says minister is simply the word slave. That's it, slave. <laughs> and so it says, is that person a slave of Christ? That really gives it a whole new sense, doesn't it? We're thinking and looking at it from an English standpoint. We're thinking minister, oh, you know, that or this. But when we read it with that definition, Paul is saying, if you want to know who you can trust, first of all, are they a slave of Christ? Now, frankly, there's not a lot of dignity in the word slave. In fact, uh, it's a negative uh, connotation, even considered racist uh, in our current uh, supercharged climate. But here in this uh, scriptural application, it's not meant that way at all. It is just referring to somebody who is pretty much at the bottom rung of the employment area. In a church, we talk about ministering. And that's a good word. We say we're going to minister in song, or someone says we're going to minister in the word. And we talk about ministering to people, and that's considered to be a good thing. In our, some of our ads that we put out, we talk about we have 20 ministries or we have 25 ministries, which really is just a fraction of all the things going on, uh, uh, several uh, dozens and dozens, over 100 people every week out there doing different things. It's uh, exciting. But the fact of the matter is when we talk about ministering to somebody, we have this ministry or that ministry, we find, first of all, that our first ministry is to Christ. And that's what Paul is saying. You know, nothing wrong with ministering to people, but are, is that person a slave or do they minister to Christ? And it's, a, it's really a caution here. It's a godly caution by Paul that we must realize that we should not be so focused, are you listening, so focused on fulfilling the needs of people that you negate the ministry to Christ. I'll give you a good example. Reverend Don and Evelyn Knapp. Don is an ordained minister in Idaho. They own a place called the Hitching Post Lakeside Chapel in Idaho. It is a wedding venue. It's also a small chapel, and they have a church there. Someone came in and wanted to have a same-sex marriage, and I put the word marriage in quotes because there's no such thing biblically as a same-sex marriage, but uh, legally they have those. They asked for a same-sex marriage. Reverend Don do, 
to the fact that he was obedient to the Word of God and he was a minister of Christ first before he was a minister of people, he said, we cannot do that. Because he said that, he was faced with legal action. In fact, even was told that they could arrest him and put him in jail because he would not minister to these people. My friend, every pastor must make a decision, especially in this climate we live in. Am I a minister of people or am I a minister of Christ first? First of all, I will minister to Christ. I am a slave of Christ before I am a minister to people. And that's what Paul was saying. He was saying, if you want to know who you can trust, trust a man who will minister to Christ before people. First and foremost, and when we faithfully serve Christ, then we are best ministering and serving the people. In the book of Acts chapter 20 and verse 19, we have a wonderful reminder here the Apostle Paul was on his final missionary journey. This was uh, really a, uh, going back to Jerusalem, and from there he'd be shipped off to Rome. This was a very challenging time in his life. There on the way back, he stops there in a place called Miletus, on the, uh, currently would be on the coast of Turkey. He sends over to the pastors in Ephesus, and he says, Brethren, come on down to the seaside. We're going to have a, a, little, uh, a little retreat, and I want to talk to you about some things. And so they came, they were good men, and the Apostle Paul looked at him in Acts chapter 20, verse 19, he said, now, when you minister, remember this, you must serve the Lord first. Whatever else you do, serve the Lord first. We don't mind you getting a blessing and getting served back from the people because you're in the ministry and it's a good thing. But always remember to serve the Lord first. You must not serve yourself. You must not serve people before you serve the Lord. And so he called them here the servants of the Lord. Actually, the Greek word slave is the word huperitis. And it means, uh, as you, it comes from two words. It means under. That's that first part, hupa. And then it means uh, rower. And so that word actually means an under rower, a very descriptive word. What Paul is saying is he's saying, as a minister of Christ, I'm a slave. As a slave, I am an under rower. I am, I am rowing under the captain. Now, the minute he said that Greek word, huperitis, everybody got it. Because in Corinth, the Greek uh, sea, uh, coast to city there, they had many a time seen a big, beautiful Roman uh, war galley ship come in, and uh, majestic, powerful. I've seen beautiful assimilations of those, uh, rowing into a great big port there, you know, uh, several hundred men uh, rowing, and uh, several layers of people with their rows. I mean, it's just amazing. That's what Paul was saying. He said, you've seen the ships coming in. He said, that's me. I'm one of those slaves down in the bottom of that hull. I've got an oar in my hand. I'm an under rower. I'm one of the bottom rung slaves. The captain is up there shouting the orders. I'm just rowing. I'm just rowing. What a metaphor. He said, we're all on a big ship. We're trying to get the goods to the port. And my responsibility is to be God's slave and to take the word and take it out to people. 
Even the great uh, apostle Luke, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 2, he considered himself a slave. Luke chapter 1 and verse 2, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. There's that same phrase again. I'm just an under rower. I'm just a person at the bottom of a galley ship. I am just rowing. I'm a slave. I don't, I'm a nameless person just rowing at the request of my captain. That's what I'm doing. Here, the great uh, apostle Luke said, look, I'm just ministering faithfully the word of Christ. You know, a faithful person just ministers the word. A faithful person doesn't get up in the morning. That slave didn't get up in the morning and just say, boy, I wonder what I'm going to do today. You know, like someone who was up on the top of the ship, someone who was on a cruise. (laughs) No, they knew what their job was, row. Just row. Every morning we wake up in the morning, we're not supposed to get up in the morning and say, well, I wonder, you know, what I want to do today. No, we ought to get up in the morning and get our orders from the captain. Go to the Word and get the, get the orders, and then say, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do. That is faithfulness, a faithful life. You'd say, well, that doesn't sound real exciting. That sounds kind of boring or mundane. Folks, often the best Christian life may seem kind of that way. Look at what Paul says in Romans 12 and verse 1. He's saying, look, folks, he said, if you're going to serve the Lord, your life's not going to always be filled with goosebumps and jelly beans. You're just going to have a, maybe an unremarkable life. Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, just present your body every morning as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, not exceptional, not amazing, not miraculous, just reasonable. Just get up and do the next right thing. What are you doing? Just the next right thing. And that's what I call our church to do right now. That's what I call the people of God in this great region to do. Now, let's just keep doing what we've been doing. Let's just be faithful. Be faithful to the Word, faithful to Christ, faithful to witness, faithful husbands and wives and raise our family, faithful to the Lord. Just just keep doing the next right thing, which is our unexceptional, just reasonable service. Here is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. He said, I, first of all, am a minister of Christ. But not only am I a minister, I am a steward of the mysteries of God. If you want to know who you can trust, make sure that they're a slave of Christ. And number two, make sure that they recognize that they are a steward of the information that God has given them. They're stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, if you've ever been on a ship, maybe you were on a cruise, or maybe you were on a ferry, or maybe you were in the uh, Navy, or in, in some way, if you've ever been on a ship for any length of time at all, you know that there are stewards there. And these stewards are one who, uh, they do all kinds of things, ranging from food to working on things, but this is a steward. It means they don't own the ship. It means they, it's not theirs to do what they want. It just means they have been hired by the owner to represent them and to provide as best they can the wishes of the owner. They are stewards. 
It used to be when you'd get on an airplane, there would be stewardesses. Now they're called flight attendants. And it used to be, uh, that, that was the word, a stewardess. And it simply means somebody who's taking care. Now they didn't own the plane. They didn't even own the food on the plane. They just dispensed it. That was simply their job. Now, the word steward here actually is a Greek word. It comes from two uh, words, which means a house manager. Now, any person who lived in that day uh, who has had any sort of worth at all, had any kind of an estate, they would have a house manager. They would have a steward. Someone who would care for the affairs, oftentimes, you know, uh, traveling wasn't as quick as it is now, and so if they had to go somewhere, it was oftentimes days, maybe several weeks, sometimes months. And so with a person gone that long, it's not like us, you know, we can sit in our house and have DoorDash come, you know, for our food. But I mean, uh, they had to leave their houses, and so it was essential, especially if you had several children, if you had uh, much... Uh, cattle or sheep or if you had a, any sort of agricultural area, you had to have somebody who was your steward, a house manager. Now, obviously, it had to be somebody you really trusted, someone who was faithful, someone who would do what you would do, someone who would care for the things, someone who inter- understood just how valuable everything really is. And Paul said, I am a slave of Christ. I am a steward of the house of God. That's what I am. I am a steward. I represent God. I don't own it. I'm just a steward. I'm a house manager. That's why Peter said it's a sacred stewardship. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. Every man, every person, man and woman, if you're a believer, you've received a gift. So minister. There's that word again. I want you to minister as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. Now, there are certain things that we are to be stewards of. Now, from a very practical uh, standpoint, I think that each generation owes the next generation passing on some information. You know, like some of these precious young ladies, they're going to get married perhaps someday and they get that blessing. I think our ladies need to share, and men, I'm sure you're good cooks too, but we need to share with them some things that are important, like things like how to cook goulash, like how to cook a hash, and good things like that, you know. And today, you know, poor things, uh, some of them don't even know how to cook, you know, and they're sitting there at the table, and they, uh, they text Mr. Snowflake next to them, you know, and they say, uh, honey, your kale milkshake is ready. And now, bless your heart, little lady, you need to learn how to cook some dude food. I mean, like fried potatoes, amen, fried potatoes. Whatever happened to fried potatoes? Anyway, I love those things. But, uh, and uh, I'm telling you folks, we ought to, we ought to, there's, there's things we need to pass on, pass on. And by the way, while I'm saying that, I uh, little sister, I don't think we need uh, 20 pictures of your avocado toast in the morning. And I know that's important to you. I know that's your little happy place. But, uh, but I will tell you that there is some information we need to pass on, pass on to these young ladies. Now, I know every time I talk like this, my, my uh, millennial daughter, she gets all over me. Dad, we're not going to have anybody in our college career if you keep talking like that. Honey, I'm just weeding them out. That's all, just weeding out those... Be, weeding out the dead wood. That's all I'm doing, sweetie. 
And, uh, but in, uh, in light of that, I've, I've said, you know what, I've got to be fair. And so I'm going to pick on the boomers right now. And uh, someone asked, how do boomers change a light bulb? The answer, they don't. They just keep talking about how great the old one was. <laughs> there you go. So I picked on the boomers too. Now, I'm just having some fun there. But the fact is, um, we are stewards, really, of information. Have you noticed lately that the pastors in California, for the most part, that are leading this, uh, this pack against these, uh, this unjust uh, thing? I mean, our governor this past week issued, you can only have two cases for 100,000 population to be in the fourth tier, which is opening church. When is that going to ever happen? That is never going to happen, folks. So I'm just telling you, he effectively said, there's never going to be church ever again, as long as I'm governor. Folks, that is, that is just such an unjust, but at the same time, we need to make sure that everybody has a right to protest, and we need to make sure that we keep open these uh, giant businesses and all their tax revenue, folks. But if you'd notice the churches that are leading against this uh, tyrannical rule, men like John MacArthur, 81 years old, men like uh, Jack Treber over there, 70 years old, men all across this state, uh, why is that? Because I'll tell you why. People who are older understand the value of what we're about to lose. And if we don't stand, now I know some think they're an old boomer just kind of spouting off, and uh, there's probably some of that, but I will tell you that it is up to one generation to pass on to the next what is valuable. Otherwise, the next generation is going to come up, and they're not going to have a clue what's important. Folk, what's important is the Word of God, is the gospel, is church, is serving God, is the freedom of faith. That is what is important. And that's why we need to be stewards of that information. God wants us to be stewards because this is information that needs to be shared. Notice what it says, stewards of what? The mysteries of God. The mysteries of God. Wow, what are the mysteries of God? Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Well, it is exciting. But I will tell you what the mysteries are. It is something that was previously hidden, now revealed. That's a theological definition. Something previously hidden, now revealed. What is that? That's the gospel. That's really in short, but the, in full. That is the whole Bible. Look what it says in Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever. What? Forever, O Lord. Thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is known to all generations. What? Are you telling me that the Bible has been, is eternal? It was already in the heavens before Adam and Eve came to earth? Yes. Put that one in your mind. It is eternal. It, was, it is a mystery. Paul said, we are stewards of this amazing mystery Tell them the story. Tell them the, the people in the mystery. Tell them who has the hatchet and who has the gun and who has the knife and who has whatever. It is a mystery previously hidden, now revealed. Today we are stewards of the information that God gave. 
We are also stewards of the intent that God had. Many today are taking Scripture and twisting it for their own purposes, just like people are doing with our beloved Constitution. Our beloved, beautiful Constitution framers intent has been distorted. I think our one of our greatest presidents, Abraham Lincoln, said it best in the famous Gettysburg Address. He said, government should be of the people. It should be by the people. And perhaps most wisely right now, it should be for the people. It should not be against the people, but for them. Abraham Lincoln encouraged a moderate form of government, which as he, a famous Republican, was good for. And we need to have less government and enough to provide safety and infrastructure for a country, for our, uh, for our defense and things like that, and for our prosperity, but not so much that inhibits our freedom. And that's what we're finding today, that people are distorting the truth that the framer of our faith gave. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, this is my responsibility as a steward. We have received mercy. We cannot faint. We cannot give up. We have renounced the hidden, excuse me, the, the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. And folks, we have seen this deceitful handling of the Word of God as never before. It is rampant. And of course, we know that cults are very uh, known for this. But friends, we need to make sure that we stand for the Word of God and stand for what the truth of it is and the intent. That's why you need to go to a church where they have a solid theology, where it's not flashy and the newest thing coming down the pike all the time, just solid teaching and preaching, consistent verse by verse and topical and just going through the Word. Because if you're not careful, you can take uh, Scripture points and you can prove anything. You may have heard of the young man who uh, got excited about a new car. He wanted a new car. He went to his daddy and he said, Daddy, I want a brand new car. His dad looked at him and said, Son, all right, first you've got to cut your hair. He said, But Dad, in the Bible, Jesus had long hair. He said, well, that's right, son, but Jesus also walked everywhere, <laughs> and uh, he tried to use the Bible, you know, for his ideas, but I will tell you what, folks, we got to do it God's way and make sure that we're understand as good stewards of the Word of God, the distinguishing of a faithful Christian. Now, number two, the dictates of a faithful Christian. What is the requirement? Verse two, let's say it together, ready, begin. Moreover, it is required in student, stewards that a man be found faithful. I don't know why I keep saying the word students. They're, that a man be found faithful. Moreover, that means in addition to. One thing you just need to put down, is that minister faithful? Is he faithful? Is he a faithful employee? Is a faithful minister a underrower is he faithful, one you can count on, one who has a heart for the things that are from God and trustworthy and reliable. Here's what God says to us. God is saying, look, I'm, I've got the goods. I'm, I need you to get it to the market. I need you to faithfully get it out there and take care of business. Now, I don't mind if you spruce it up a little. I don't mind if you make it look good. 
And I think that's what our responsibility is as a pastor and ministers and all of us who serve the Lord. I don't think there's anything wrong with making the gospel look good. Um, you know, like, uh, like the old famous saying is, sell the sizzle. You know, if you've got a steak out there and you've got a steakhouse, man, blow that smell of that steak out into the, so people need to follow it like that. Like, I, like we used to do, you know, when you go to a mall and they have that smell of fresh bread and cinnamon. I'd go find that uh, cinnamon every time, you know. I could find it no matter what. I was like an old hound dog, you know, my nose was just up in the air. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't go to the mall without getting a cinnamon because they were selling the sizzle. And I don't have a problem with making the gospel as beautiful as it is because the truth is you can't make it as beautiful as it really is. You can't, people say, well, you're just over-talking heaven and over-talking God. Trust me. I could sit here for an hour, talk, use every superlative in the book, and I couldn't even come close to how good God is and the heaven is. And so you can't sell it too good, I will tell you right now. And so I don't, that's what God is saying here. I don't mind you ramping up the gospel. I don't mind you giving it your best, but the truth is just make sure it's good. Make sure it's the right gospel. Make sure it's straight. And I want, you to, I want you to be faithful. He says that a man be found faithful. He didn't say that a man be found brilliant. Thank God for that. Amen. <laughs> that a man be found faithful. I mean, I, last time I checked, not a lot of Einsteins around here um, for sure. But uh, I know this appears not that way. But it says that, that a man be found faithful. That's what Timothy, excuse me, Paul said about Timothy, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For this cause I have sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, faithful in the Lord. And Jesus said in his waning earthly ministry, Matthew 25, verse, or excuse me, 24, verse 45, who then is faithful and wise servant? Faithful. Who's a faithful servant? Whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, there's that stewardship, to give him meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom when his Lord cometh, he shall find so doing. And folks, I will tell you, the Lord is coming. And what does the Lord want when he comes? To find us faithful. That's all. Brilliant, that'd be nice. Amazing, well, of course, that's good. But faithful. And I want you to notice what that word says found faithful. The idea is that when you're found, you, somebody's been looking, right? I mean, when it's found, we don't find things by accident. We find it because we're looking. The master is looking. He is looking, and he is going to find whether we are faithful or not. And I just need to issue a warning to all of us. Friend, you need to know that God is looking. He's looking at everything you're looking at. He's looking. <laughs> He's looking, sister. He's looking, brother. He's looking, young man, young lady. He's looking. You're not going to get away. He is looking. Be careful. Be faithful in your private hours and in your private time and in the, the wee hours of the morning or when you're out on some trip somewhere or even your home, wherever you are, folks. You need to know you will be found out. You will be. It's not a matter of if. We're crazy people. We are. We're, we, for the, we are nutcases. We have this, we kind of live in this delusional world that we can sin and not be found out. Really? Who told you that? 
Whoever told you that you could secretly sin? I'll tell you one thing. It wasn't God that told you that. It wasn't the Bible. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. You will not get away with sin. You will not. It will come out. Now, Paul makes it clear it's possible that you might fake everybody out and die without anybody knowing. It's maybe possible. But it won't be that way in heaven because God will judge every man's work. You will be found, it says. You will be found out. God's going to find out whether you're faithful. Are you faithful in your word and faithful in, to your promises? Are you faithful in do the right thing, or are you stealing, living some immoral life? What are you doing? Don't be unfaithful, friend. Now, folks, all of us sin. We all get angrier and patient. Or all, I mean, that's just what it is, but we can make it right with God, and thank God He's a merciful God, and He takes that back. But folks, we need to be faithful, and that's what Paul is saying. Folks, you're going to be found faithful, and make sure that you stay faithful. Stay in church and stay in the Word. A study was done recently, and they found out that if a mom and dad both attend church regularly, 72% of their children remain faithful. If only dad remains faithful, 55% of the children remain faithful. Amazing, remarkable. But if only mom is faithful to church, 15% of the children, only basically one out of 10 will stay faithful. If neither parent attends church, maybe believe in it okay, but never attend, only 6% of children remain faithful. Folks, what we do makes a big difference. Our, and that faithfulness will be found out. It might be found out in our children. It might be found out in our health. It's found out in our emotions. It's found out in our relationship, folks. We will be found. I want to be found faithful. I want to be found faithful. The distinguishing and the dictates, and number three, the display of a faithful Christian. How is that faithfulness manifested? Look at verse 3, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of my man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. The word there for judge is the word to cross-examine or to evaluate something. Paul is simply saying this, and it, it's kind of like saying, you know what, I don't want to sound arrogant. Forgive me if I sound brash. Forgive me if I even sound a little proud here, but he said, I will tell you this. It is absolutely meaningless to me what you think of me. It's a small thing, he says. It really, it, I really don't even care what you think. I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. And whether you judge me to be faithful or not faithful, what do you think? I'm a good guy, a bad guy. It means nothing to me. And it does come across kind of arrogant, I know, but what I he's not saying, I, he doesn't care what people, about helping people or being pleasing to people. What he's meaning is that it is impossible for me to live up to some standard that this religious group, this religious group, these people, it is impossible for me. He, he was a faithful apostle, he was a great man of God, but he said, I've learned I cannot live up to your standards. You know, it's a great day in your life when you finally realize you answer to God. And that's, a, that's enough right there. You answer to God. I can tell you that it was a defining moment in my ministry when I realized that I cannot live up to the self-imposed standards that I imagined for my fellow ministers. And 
None of them had put it on me. It was all on myself, but I would had these standard. Boy, it was a defining moment many years ago when I just said, you know what? I can't, I can't keep up with the brethren. Now, let me hasten to say this, lest someone run off with this truth. <laughs> don't, don't go off without getting this. This is not an excuse for some worldly Christian to use this as a disclaimer. Well, I don't care what the pastor says. I don't care what my parents says. I just do what I want. I answer to God. That is, that is not what Paul is saying here. The Apostle Paul is warning us, the Holy Spirit is warning us that we cannot live up to the religious whims of petty wishes of people because you will never, you'll, you'll never match it ever. It just, it's not going to happen. And I will tell you over these last months here, with, uh, we make decisions in many cases on Monday, we change it on Wednesday, and then we change it again on Friday. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And there are some people that say, oh, pastor, you shouldn't do this. And others say, we should do this. And I will tell you that I've pretty much early on in this whole thing realized that we try to make the best decision we can, but there's no way to please everybody in this church. I mean, it's just not going to happen. We can't do it because everybody has a different opinion. And many of it is just that. It's just opinion. It's not a Bible truth. It's just an opinion. So there's no way I can do that. And so Paul is saying, folks, if you're going to serve God, you have to remember that I, you can't live up to any self-imposed religious decision. Perfect pastor we cannot be. Here's a job description I read this week of the perfect pastor. The perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. The perfect pastor condemns sin roundly but never hurts anyone's feelings. The perfect pastor works from 8 a.m. to midnight and is also the church janitor. The perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, drives a nice car, buys good books, and donates $30 a week to church. He, the perfect pastor is 29 years old and has 40 years of experience. The perfect pastor never forgets a name, spends all of his time praying to God, and above all, the perfect pastor is quite handsome. He knows when someone is sick and needs visitation, even when no one ever tells him. The perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers, but spends most of his time with the senior citizens. The pastor, perfect pastor smiles all the time, but always with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to the church. A number, this one here, he makes 15 visits a day, but it's always in his office to be there when you need him. That's the perfect pastor. There's a whole lot more, but anyway. The fact, the truth is, folks, I feel so blessed as a pastor, but the truth is we can't, none of us can live up to any expectations. Verse 3, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you. Or of man's judgment. He said, the court of public opinion, I'm going to lose every time. No, there's no way I can live up to the public opinion in this world. And I will tell you, especially of late, we've realized if you say one thing, they'll say this. If you say another thing, they'll say this. Really, all, the only thing we can do is just try to be a faithful to the Lord, and things are going to happen. That's what Jesus faithful, wonderful Jesus, our compassionate Savior, gave a heads up to His disciples in Luke chapter 17 and verse 1. He said to His disciples, it is impossible or inevitable that offenses will come. He said, guys, you're going to go out there and you're going to try your best to be kind. You're not going to be necessarily offensive. You're not going to be weird people. But He said, I will tell you, there is no way that you're going to minister the Bible without offending this world. It is impossible. 
I've heard Christians just decry others, you know. Oh, they're so rough. And folks, I don't know of any good way to tell somebody that they're on their way to hell. You know, smile. You're dying and going to hell. I mean, I don't know any, but the fact is, I am dying without Christ and going to hell. I need Jesus Christ. I don't know of any good way to tell someone that. You are a sinner. You have broken the laws of God. And I think we ought to be nice. Pastor Mike actually is the best at it I've ever seen. I mean, he does smile the whole time. And he, that person's sitting there and he's sticking the knife in. They don't even know it. And uh, he's got it all the way up to the handle before that person realizes, you know. But folks, uh, a lot of us can't do that. But I will tell you one thing. We can be faithful. In Galatians 1 and verse 10, Paul said, if I try to please the public, he said, look, he said, do I persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? If I pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. He said, if I try to please the Greeks, I'm going to offend the Jews. If I try to please the Jews, I'm going to offend the Greeks. He said, it's just not going to do anything. I can't do it. King David realized how fickle public opinion was. Second Samuel 24 and verse 14, after he had had this great sin and he was repentant about it. And uh, the prophet Gad came to him and said, here's the deal. What do you want? And David said, let us fall into the hand of God, for his mercies are great. Let me not fall into the hand of man. And so public opinion will not go well for us because public opinion, just uh, we, can't, we can't keep up with that. There's no way. Second. Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18, he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Now let's quickly go to verse 4. I'm running out of time here, but I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. And so Paul was saying this. He was saying, you know, as far as I know, there's nothing in my life that's offended uh, the Bible, nothing in my life that's offended the Lord, as far as I know. But Honestly, I'm going to stand before God someday, and He's going to tell me what's true or not. Let me give you a good example of how this whole thing works. You know, we, is, um, we look at ourselves one way, but God really judges us uh, with truth. Um, you know, my bride, she is a very honest lady, beautiful lady. One day I followed her uh, after she had been into the bathroom, and so I went in there, and I was going to do my grooming, which usually takes about three minutes. And uh, so uh, I was going to, you know, but I looked, and I thought, good night. What in the world? I, man, who is that old-looking guy? I mean, first of all, it's, it's like it's bright glowing in there. I mean, shining everywhere. And, and it just, it wasn't was looking good at all. And it just made me angry. It, it, what's wrong with this? Well, I realized that really for months, I had had the the, uh, the little dial on the light in that bathroom kind of down a little bit. So it's kind of always dim. But my wife, being the honest person she was, she needed to see something, make sure those eyes are looking good, you know, and that hair looked good. So she had turned that up bright. And I went in there, and that thing was full bright. I was like, whoo, man, that is not good at all. I don't like that too much. And I even told her, I said, that's a little too much honesty for me right there. I just don't, you know, it's like the man going up to that that mirror and just pounding on it. Oh, what a stupid mirror. And uh, that's what 
Paul said, he said, look, don't blame God. I, all I know is someday I'm going to stand before God and he's going to see me like I am all bright and he's going to show me uh, all my pimples and all my issues. And thank God I'm in his hands. Finally, and I close here this morning. Number four, the discernment of a faithful Christian. At the end of the day, how are we going to be assessed? Verse five, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have the praise of God. God does not evaluate us on our abilities, but uh, by our dependability. And that's what he's saying here. Don't judge anything before the time. Because really, before Jesus comes, we can't really figure it all out. We don't know what people are doing behind the scenes, what kind of pressures, what kind of things are going on. Be very careful about measuring. Make sure that we leave the measuring with God. We just look and say, we want a faithful, we want to be a faithful uh, servant of the Lord. One thing about this verse I think that we need to look at before we go, and there's a lot more I could say, but notice what it says. It says, God brings to light the hidden things of darkness. Now, at first thought, that might think, oh, well, God's going to show us where we've sinned someday. But I don't really think that's what it's meaning, although that is a, certainly a Bible truth. I don't think that this verse is saying that, because here's what it says. The last part of that verse says, because at that time, every man shall have praise of God. When is it that the dark things or the hidden things are going to be revealed and that we get the praise of God. I think this is a verse reminding us of our amazing position in Jesus Christ. Like it says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, we will have no condemnation because of our position in Christ. Paul said, ultimately, thank God that, that, I am, uh, that I, there's no condemnation with the Lord. I leave my life with the Lord. I leave my actions. I leave my future and pray, every man will have praise. I like that. Amen. Every man shall have praise. Ultimately, thank God, he's going to cover it all. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. He's got it covered. Now, that doesn't mean I'm supposed to brag now and say, you know, that's all covered. Well, you know, yeah, it may be covered someday, but I think we ought to do right in between now and then. God is reminding us that we are to live for him. One last verse and we'll be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Wherefore, and this is the end of the matter, therefore ye eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's it. How would you, uh, in the final stage of the game, in the final matter, what's the deal? Just be faithful in everything. Just be faithful. I want to be a faithful servant of the Lord. I want to wake up in the morning and be faithful. Before we came here, my wife and I, we pray, we hold hands in the car, and we dedicate ourselves to serving the Lord, serving people. Lord, we pray that we will just uh, be there for someone, and our smile, our words, our attitudes, uh, we can pray for people. Lord, we just offer ourselves, and uh, really every day is that same thing. We pray together before she goes off or I run off. And we just say, oh God, and that's really what we're saying. Lord, I just want to live for your glory. It may not, it may only be reasonable, unremarkable. If it's just eating or drinking, 
Lord, I just want to live for your glory. That's what, that's what a faithful Christian looks like. And so these, while these are, uh, these are difficult times for the church, uh, we know what we got to do. Just be faithful. There are four boys, all brothers, walking along the banks of a swollen stream, playing as they went, as boys do. And like most boys, the idea was to get as far into danger as they can and try to come back. But predictably, one of them fell into the raging stream. He could not swim against the powerful current. And immediately his brother plunged in and took a hold of his arm, only to find that he could not bring his brother to the bank. So another brother, catching hold of a branch, stretched his body as far as he could and just barely grabbed the hand of the brother who was holding the swimmer. By and by, all three were brought safe to the land. When they came home, they all told their father about what had happened. Their father was upset, but wanted to hear about it all. To the oldest, he said, son, when your brother fell into the river, what did you do towards his rescue? Well, dad, I was paralyzed with fear, but, and I stood there for a second, but I realized if I don't do something, he's going to be lost. And so I plunged in as best as I could, and I was able to grab onto him. Good, my son. Well done. The father then looked at the third son and said, Son, what did you do to rescue your brother? He said, Well, Father, I could not swim. I knew I couldn't, but I knew that if I could reach the branch and reach my brother, perhaps I could pull them in, and I was able to. The father said, Son, I'm very proud of you. Thank you. Well done, thou good and faithful son. And then finally, looking at the youngest, a little lad of four years old, and son, what did you do while your brother was in the river? Your other brother had grabbed onto him and your other brother had grabbed onto the branch. What did you do? He said, dad, I'm only four years old. I, I didn't know what I could do. And so the only thing I could do is clap my hands and say, good job, you can do it. Good job. You can do it. Bring them in. The father looked at his youngest son and said, Son, well done, my good and faithful son. Folks, there are so many people in this world who are racing towards a Christless eternity. They are running down the stream of life and some can jump in, others can hold on to them. And if all I can do is just clap my hands and say, good job, then let's be faithful to the end. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning.